Welcome to Season 2, Episode 5 of Whiskey Queens. This week we're talking about bourbon versus rye, and Paul's going to be tasting KO Distilling's Distillers Reserve Bourbon. If you like what you're hearing, be sure to check us out at whiskeyqueens.com, at the Whiskey Queens on Instagram, and be sure to give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks, and here's the show. That was better. Welcome to the show. Oh, I was going to put it closer to the mic, but welcome to the show anyway. So whatever, we can just roll with this mother. Uh, we will roll with it. Welcome to episode five, everyone. How are you doing today? I'm here. You're, you showed up and that's all that matters. That is, you should all just go blessed that I decided to come. <laughs> you're gracing us with your presence this evening. <laughs> exactly. So with that said, do you want to tell us why you're here this evening and uh, why you're drinking? I'm here because you made me be here. True. No, uh, I kid, I kid, I kid. Uh, I'm here because it's my podcast that I have to be here. It's sort of a requirement. I am a co-host after all. I am drinking because um, it's the end of the year. And what that means for me is a lot of fucking work because it's also the end of my organization's fiscal year. So it's just God. a lot of work. That sounds like hell. Yeah. And how about yourself, sir? Um, I'm here because I also have to be here. I don't have a solid reason for drinking this week, but I do. Oh, we like love being drinking. here, ladies and gentlemen. We love it. Even I'm though so we, excited. Both sound like, we both sound like, like disgruntled bitches. Like, I'm here because I have to be here. Even on my best, most excited day, I'm still a disgruntled bitch, just so we're really clear on where I stand on all this. Um, drinking this week, I don't really have a solid reason other than because I want to. It's kind of been a vanilla week so far, and I'm okay with that. I'm okay with coasting through the remaining weeks of this year, getting through the holiday, and seeing what's on the other side. So I'm, I'm cool with just having a drink. That's, that's where I'm at tonight. And I totally fucked up my response already, ladies and gentlemen, because I usually say, uh, I'm drinking because I like to drink. That is what you uh, usually say. And so now I said it right there. There you go. So now we have it. So what are you drinking this week, though? Because um, you're drinking something special, whereas I'm just drinking a cocktail and talking about history. So this week, I am drinking Bottled in Bond Distillers Reserve Straight Bourbon Whiskey from the KO Distilling Company. That is a mouthful. Uh, yes, which is located in Manassas, Virginia. Did you visit this place? I did. I visited this place with some friends uh, who I've talked about ad nauseum on the podcast. My dear friend uh, and um, I can't remember their, their titles now because I've had some bourbon. That's your friend and acclaimed author, uh, Wit Talcott. My dear friend and acclaimed author, Wit Talcott, and my dear friend and award-winning massage, massage therapist, therapist, Ben Amon of Omni Massage. The three of us went to KO Distilling and actually did a uh, distillery tour um, over the Thanksgiving holiday. So that was a lot of fun. I'm still waiting for my title, just putting that out there. Um, I also do think we at some point need to make them like honorary Whiskey Queen co-hosts or something because they show up in so many of the distillery conversations and they're one of the most avid, like, avid commenters and engagers online. I feel like we need to come up with some they, special award for them. They would, for a lack of more decorum, cream their jeans in excitement. Wow, that's a lot. Um, so tell me, about, <laughs> tell me about your whiskey. 
probably shouldn't have any more after that comment, <laughs> but I will. So the bottled in bond distillers reserve straight bourbon whiskey, which is a mouthful, uh, which I will so forth call distillers reserve. Beautiful. Uh, is 50% ABV. So it's a hundred proof. <laughs> Hence why I'm feeling great. It's aged four years in new charred American white oak barrels. And it's distilled on site at KO Distilling. Uh, and it's actually distilled by Ryan Hendricks, who is their master distiller, who I'll talk a little bit more about later when I talk about the distillery. And it's done in one distilling season. It's handcrafted from Virginia grown grains. So it's 70% corn, 20% wheat, and 10% malted barley. And if memory serves me right, you're gonna give us a little ditty later in education on sort of the difference between bourbon and rye. I am, and I'm really curious after what I read about the flavor profile on this, because what I'm understanding is wheat is supposed to give things a little bit more of like a, like a floral fruity taste to it versus the spiciness of rye. So I'm, I'm curious about your tasting notes. Sure, because you know my palate is impeccable and I'll be able to articulate everything that I taste in such a magnificent way. Um, no sarcasm here, ladies and gents. Super refined. Uh, yeah, super refined. Um, the price point on this particular bottle, it's a distiller's reserve. Uh, it's $69.99, so it's not the cheapest bottle, but it is good. I did a tasting while I was at um, KO Distilling and tried a couple of their ryes, including the cask strength rye, which was good and actually had that in my Manhattan drink because why not? Um, That sounds nice. And I tried their American whiskey, uh, which is their uh, non-aged whiskey. So it's a white whiskey. Okay. Those things are rough. Oh, really? Yeah. In my opinion. So it's non-aged. Oh, so it's a totally clear spirit. Like it hasn't even touched a cask. Yeah. It basically is like in a barrel a day. You're like, just like you dip it in a barrel. And then you put it in a bottle. It's like weak tea. Yeah. But not so much because it's a spirit. So it's, you're not getting sort of the, the flavor notes or. Yeah. It's not mellowing at all. Was it, was it really sharp? It was something. Okay. I mean, to each their own. Wasn't my favorite. I'll just say that. Fair point. Uh, Anyway, back to this particular bottle. So this particular bottle, uh, was produced to pay homage to the 400th anniversary of distilled spirits in the United States. It's kind of a cool fact about this bottle. So if you are like me and you're like, the the F is with bottled in bond, like what does that mean, yo? Why is it on the bottle? Why are we being so specific about it? Do you know? I, off the top of my head, I do not know. So please educate me. Well, it is a, thank you. Uh, Google and Wikipedia and all you sorts of search engines that allow me to learn these things in a snapshot. Uh, It's a label for an American-made distilled beverage that has been aged and bottled according to a set of legal regulations contained in the United States Standards of Identity for Distilled Spirits that is originally laid out in the Bottle and Bond Act of 1897. Damn. Okay. Yes. Yes. So this act in particular was largely a reaction to a widespread adulteration, as they like to say, uh, in American whiskey. So basically it, it made the federal government the guarantor of a spirit's authenticity. It also gave producers a tax incentive for participating. 
uh, in the Bottled and Bond Act and help to ensure proper accounting and the eventual collection of tax uh, that was due. Uh, although the regulation generally applies to all spirits, most bonded spirits tend to be whiskeys in practice, which I thought was interesting. The label, so to be labeled as a bottled in bond or bonded spirit, there are some requirements. Hit the me. liquor must be the product of one distillation season, either January to June or July to December, okay. by one distiller at one distillery. It must have been aged in a federally bonded warehouse under US government supervision for at least four years and bottled at 100 proof. The bottled products label must identify the distillery where it was distilled and if different, where it was bottled. Okay. Only spirits produced in the United States may be designated as bonded. Oh, okay. Oh yeah, makes sense. So this is a this is the first bottle and bonded spirit from KO Distilling. Okay. For your information. So what are the tasting notes you're asking yourself? Because I, I can just feel that energy coming from you. Um, <laughs> the tasting notes from the distillery, the nose, warm vanilla notes that quickly evolve into caramel with hints of baking spice and dried apricot. Paul's tasting notes. Anyone's guess, really. Uh, my, <laughs> my nose notes. I can get the vanilla. I feel like I get a little more caramel than I do vanilla or caramel. How did I say it in the first? I probably said caramel in the first thing. And then when I decide to talk about it, it's caramel because I'm a diva. Um, All enunciations. Yeah, that's, that could be its own show itself. <laughs> the taste, the tasting notes from the distillery in terms of the palate, it's a rick, it's a rick, it's a rick. No, it's a rich English toffee toasted almonds, and a dusting of dark cocoa. Now, my palate is not as sophisticated. And so what I wrote was, it's sweet on the front, <laughs> small spice slash burn on the end that dissipates quickly. Those are my palate notes. Oh, and God. I will say, though, that the power of suggestion is a magical thing. Because as I tasted this, as I was preparing my notes, I was like, well, I do kind of get a little bit of toasted almond English toffee and maybe some cocoa. I don't know. It's hard to say. So conversation for a different time. I'm, I'm curious what the difference between regular other toffee and English toffee is, because they're very specific to call out a rich English toffee. Yeah, I'm sorry. I didn't do research on that. Please. Yeah, I'm curious. I'm curious. Um, but I do love how your tasting notes are... So very you. Right? Like, I don't know what the fuck it is. It's whiskey, everybody. It's sweet. It's a little, all little burning. All I know is that all the ones I tried, and we actually, so we had a wonderful tasting experience at KO. So I would recommend it to anyone who uh, had the chance to go to KO because I did a flight that was three, um, three whiskeys and a cocktail. And as I said, I did a Manhattan cocktail with cask strength rye whiskey because one don't play. Uh, and I did the American whiskey, which is the white whiskey. And then I did two ryes. I did the cast strength rye and I did another, another rye. Okay. But my friends, uh, Wit Talcott and Ben also ordered. And so we had things that were slightly different. So we got to taste each other's stuff. But then we had this delightful server who was like, I like you guys. So I'm going to get you all this, a little that. So we had additional tastings from this guy. Um, who was 
you know, of course, because we're of the homosexual variety at the table, we also, <laughs> have, uh, you know, that moment we're all sitting there after he like offers all this stuff up and we're like, mm, is he part of the family? Is that why he's being so generous? And then he disclosed he's like a salesperson for KO. So uh, he could be family. He could just be a salesperson. He could just so, be trying to sell you a bottle. Sure. But I tried all these different ones, including the Distillers Reserve was one of the the last samples he gave us. And that was my favorite. And so I decided to buy this particular bottle. I'm also bougie, as we all know. So it's not surprising to me that I'm like, oh, I like the Distillers Reserve the best. Shocking. Yeah. So the distillery. KO Distilling is located, as I said, in Manassas, Virginia. And as we discussed with our tour guide, uh, it's located in, now I'm going to forget all of the words, in like a, a construction's not the right word, uh, industrial area, oh, like okay. an industrial strip, uh, because uh, it's part of Prince Williams County, I believe. It's under the county jurisdiction. And so they have some additional regulations related to where uh, that type of establishment can be located, like where they're actually doing like the whiskey uh, distillation process on site. Okay. And so they're sort of in this uh, industrial strip, which is, you know, a little, a little shitty for them because another uh, Malarkey, which is another distillery, which is in Manassas, but under the jurisdiction of the city, doesn't have those same regulations. So it's not in sort of this industrial region. And so I think it, it's sort of more on the footpath of traffic yeah. than KO is. Okay. Uh, but that was sort of a fun fact from our tour. It was founded in 2015. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, they began their work with a line of gins. So they have gin in addition to uh, whiskeys. And then, of course, the first craft whiskey was their unaged uh, craft whiskey, which is the white whiskey I mentioned that I tried. And I decided to try it because it was the first one they made. Uh, and then they ended up producing their first aged spirit called Bare Knuckle American Wheat Whiskey in November of 2016. So the founders are lifelong friends, Bill Carlson and John O'Mara, who make up the K and O. Oh, my oh gosh. Carlson and O'Mara. Yes, in the distillery's name. So these gents first met as classmates at the United States Merchant Marine Academy. And then after graduation, they ended up both, uh, you know, sailed in the Merchant Marine and served in the United States Navy Reserve and sort of went on their own several ways, right? During their careers and like had careers in defense contracting. They're both engineers. And what I found fascinating both in the research of this distillery, but also in the tour that I had with Whit Talcott and Ben, is that um, there are a lot of engineers who are associated with this. The master distiller is an engineer by trade. These two guys who founded are engineers uh, in profession. And the guy who gave us a tour is this, re he retired, like his, this is like his third retirement or whatever. And he's actually a former engineer too. And so he, he now gives tours at KO. It was just a fascinating thing to me. That's all these like group of engineers, retired engineers who were like, we're going to do this, yo. Um, this is our second career, whiskey making. Yeah, so they were both engineers and after retiring early, they decided to create craft spirits with local ingredients uh, in Virginia and sort of bring their newly found passion to the local area. So 
that moves on to the master distiller, right? Uh, Ryan Hendricks, who I mentioned earlier, who is responsible for this particular bottle that I'm drinking. So Ryan Hendricks has both, he has an, a master's in chemical engineering and what? a bachelor's in chemical physics. These from, aren't the people that I assume are gonna become distillers. I know, it's what I love about it so much. Uh, and both of his degrees are from Michigan State University. And while he was at MSU, he was a member of the Artisan Distilled Spirits Program, which is a program part of the Department of Food Science and Nutrition at MSU. So while he was part of this program, he assisted with both the manufacture of spirits and the in teaching classes and workshops, right? So it's kind of cool. Yeah. I just find it like amazing and fascinating that like two engineers decided to, in retirement, create like go into this new profession and be like, we want to be distillers and that's what we want to do. And so that's what they did. And then they ended up bringing on a master distiller in, I think around, he joined the distillery in around 2015 or so. Uh, and he just happens to be, you know, this person who has a master's degree in chemical engineering, who is, who is the person who is overseeing and producing, you know, the distillation process and the formulation of whiskey, right? At this particular distillery is fascinating to me. Yeah, that's really cool. You can have you can have multiple careers and multiple lives. Yes, yes, you can. But the other fun fact is that both John O'Mara and Ryan Hendricks, so one of the founders and the master distiller, both are graduates of the Moonshine University distilling course. Are you familiar with Moonshine University? I'm not. Tell me more. So Moonshine University is in Louisville, Kentucky. And it was founded in 2012 by Dave Defoe, who, was, who is the founder of the beverage development company, Flavorman. Uh, so, oh, yes. okay. So Moonshine University offers technical training and business management education for startups, industry professionals, and those looking for careers in the distilling industry. They basically have a variety of courses that are designed and taught by distillery operators, industry insiders, and world-renowned master distillers, including people, you know, who work at like Jim Beam and some of the very, very well-known and long-established distilleries. Okay. So between Moonshine University and Flavorman, right, they have this huge campus in Louisville. Uh, that has a, you know, it's like 25,000. They, it's, I don't even I don't know who I said 25, it's 25,000. I don't know what that means, but I said it. It's 25,000, um, I don't know, I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, the, so the beverage campus basically houses the two companies, a fully equipped distillery, a state-of-the-art classrooms for their, their coursework, a production facility with, with a bottling line, a sensory library, as they say on the website. That's and cool. Yeah, and 24,000 square foot beverage innovation laboratory. So is the sensory laboratory, I'm not sure if you went this far down the rabbit hole, is the sensory laboratory like, I assume it's all like scent catalogs so you can start to like train your nose? I presume it's not just, I presume one, let me clarify that I didn't dive super deep into that research. Sorry. So I'm making presumptions here. I presume that yes, it deals with the olfactory component of it, but I would also presume uh, that it also is like a taste library. That's really cool. Moonshine University. I might have to add mm -hmm. this to the bucket list. 
Yeah, I mean, it's primarily, I mean, anyone can take their courses, I think, but it's, it's really designed and a lot of their stuff is designed for people who want to, uh, who are either in the profession and want some additional training and certification and expertise or who are wanting to start like to be a distiller or to work in, in a distillery, that sort of thing. Yeah, that's really cool. I'll have to follow that. So we'll link this in show notes. This is actually a really cool website. Um, yeah. So I'll fall down that rabbit hole later on tonight. Good for you. <laughs> in my free time, after I'm done editing, I will start stalking. Yeah, I mean, place. I did take a, you know, of course, when I was doing my little ditty, I did a, I did a, a look at some of their courses just to see like they, but they're not just focused on whiskey, obviously they're focused on, they have courses on fermentation, on rum, on absinthe and amaro like they have bourbon making workshops like they do a lot of different stuff but i thought it was just a really interesting they have a six-day distiller course and i believe that's what uh omera did okay yeah that's really neat all right excellent well welcome to the family ko you've officially been reviewed by paul ashton right i'm sorry if it wasn't the review you're looking for well no it's great i'm enjoying it but my I don't know what I'm trying to say. Hey. I can delete all of that. <laughs> you found a bottle you liked during your tasting, and that's all that really matters. Because if you didn't like anything that you were tasting, you wouldn't have brought a bottle home, and you wouldn't be talking about it tonight. That is the truth. Um, meanwhile, I'm recycling last week's bourbon, and I made a cocktail. <laughs> so I'm enjoying a Belvedere right now. Have you what ever had it? one? What is a Belvedere? Oh, I think you would love it, because it's the opposite of sweet. Uh, so it's three quarter ounce straight bourbon, and then it's three quarter ounce sweet vermouth and sweet uh, three quarter ounce Campari, which is bitter because it's comprised from Genshin root. So it has like this bitter taste to it and it cuts the sweetness. It's a really nice cocktail and it's a fun color because of the Campari. So can, <laughs> can I give what? you a hard time for a minute speaking of pronunciations? Oh God, what did I say? It's, it's a Boulevardier. Oh, what did I say? Belvedere? Yes. Sorry. I was like, I've never had a Belvedere. I've had an entire I've, one of these so far. So I can... have had a Boulevardier. Boulevardier. <laughs> Sorry, kids. I'm the dyslexia is real after I've had a drink. Um, but here we are. They're delicious. Thanks. Um, yeah, Nick's Nunciations. Uh, my one to your... 4,000. Okay, whatever. Shut okay. up. Um, so time for a history lesson. Uh, where we last left off, you were talking about um, the history of American whiskey and kind of how we got to where rye is not quite as well-known or loved versus kind of the, the heralded bourbon in our world. Um, so I'm going to pick off there, uh, pick up where we left off there. Um, so in the previous episodes, you talked about how Rye was kind of the original whiskey in the States. Uh, it kind of fell out of memory because of prohibition. Um, it followed up by a resurgence in the form of bourbon. So everyone kind of thinks as bourbon as the American whiskey, when really rye kind of started the entire thing for us. Um, so a little bit of a review. Uh, most American whiskeys can be traced back to a town. And here's where the Paul Nunciations are going to get deep and real. Um, Mont Monongahela, Oh, come on, girl. Yeah. No, it's Monongahela. Monongahela, Pennsylvania. You know um, I know that. You know why I know that. I don't know why you know that. Oh, come on. Because you know, like, I, although I do say that I'm from Ohio, because I, I claim Ohio as part of my historic roots, I was born in Pittsburgh. And oh, the right. Allegheny and the Monongahela River 
meet at Point State Park uh, at Pittsburgh and they create the Ohio River. Yes. So the town or the city is named because of the river. So that's yes. where the town gets its name. Um, the river was important because it was also a commercial waterway, but it was also the source of water for the whiskey making process in the town. So that's running the mills, running the distillery equipment. Um, at the time, whiskey was for the unrefined palate. It was for those who had a palate similar to Paul's. Praise uh, be. Yep. Because uh, it was a rougher drink than what people were accustomed to drinking at the time. Uh, so it Why, was considered- I love it. I, but it's delicious. Um, but- as you kind of touched on last week, as the spirit sat and matured over time when it was in transport, it mellowed, it matured, it developed a different kind of flavor profile because of the spice of the rye. Um, and that's what it was really commonly known for as time went on. And it became adopted at that point because people started to love the flavor profile of what was now matured whiskey. Um, you also talked about Maryland style rye, which included more grains like corn and malted barley. Um, it pulled in other flavors like wine and port to add different and more complex notes. And there's kind of a resurgence going on now with Maryland style rye. Uh, so that's something that was kind of a different type of rye. And there's these different versions of rye that exist. Um, so according to the book, rye isn't the easiest type of whiskey to produce because the grain itself tends to be sticky, produces tons of froth during the production process, but it hasn't really slowed anyone down. There's actually a, a huge resurgence with brands like Dad's Hat, which is 80% um, Pennsylvania rye, 15% malted barley, and 5% malted rye. Um, there's a list in the book of other distilleries that are kind of bringing about new types of ryes and different flavor combinations. So there's definitely kind of an up rising of rye. It's coming back to the market at this point and has been for Good. several years now. I um, like rye. And I think we'll encounter a lot of these as we start to talk about craft distilling later on in the season. I feel like that's where we're going to dive into the people doing really interesting stuff or the craft distillers out there. Um, but there's also a corporate overlord that comes in because MGP or Midwestern Grain Products, we've talked about, you've talked about them have. at length. I've talked about them ad nauseum, as I like to say. You have. Um, but MGP, formerly Seagram's, that closed back in 2000, they are responsible for the bulk of the rye revival at this point. Uh, their house blend essentially is 95% Pennsylvania rye and 5% barley. If you have had any of the following brands, Redemption, which I love, High West, Smooth Amber's Old Scout, Templeton Rye, or really any moderately priced bottle in the $30 to $40 range that has come about in the last 15 years, you're most likely drinking MGP, at least in part. So that's, they are a huge player in the rye industry right now. Um, but if we go from rye, now jump to bourbon, in 1964, there was a resolution passed that identified bourbon as a distinct product of the U.S. Um, it was, went into, I'm sorry, it, um, prevented the importation of any product claiming to call itself bourbon, making it a protected product of the United States. Uh, fact, bourbon does not have to be made in Kentucky to be called bourbon. It can be produced anywhere in the U.S., but if it is labeled, quote, Kentucky or Kentucky bourbon, it does have to be distilled and matured in Kentucky for at least one year, and it cannot be mixed with bourbon from any other state in the U.S. Otherwise, it's no longer considered a Kentucky bourbon if that happens. Uh, so the U.S. is one of the places in the world that has a really strict hold on how grain mash bills roll up into a distinct whiskey type. Um, Ireland is a close second. 
um, because of their use of raw barley versus malted barley. They did that to dodge taxation though, which we kind of talked about um, in season one, going back to England taxing malted barley. The Irish's workaround was essentially to incorporate unmalted barley, therefore reducing their tax burden. Um, so they're kind of a close second to strict formulas turning out into a type of whiskey. Uh, so in 1909, U.S. shored up the bourbon mash bill when President Taft, through what's called the Pure Food and Drug Act of 1906, determined that it must be at least 51% corn in order to be considered a bourbon. Um, and just to back up a second, the entire shift towards corn was done because of geography and necessity. Uh, so as settlers moved west, crops that they had access to changed, and therefore the whiskeys changed along with it. Uh, rye was abundant in the Northeast, uh, not so much as folks moved out West. So that's why the shift started to occur. And you'll see rye kind of turn into bourbons as people move West over time. Mm -hmm. um, so corn now has to compromise, uh, comprise the majority of the mash bill, uh, but there's usually other grains involved. Uh, the runner up typically is rye. It tends to add a bit of spiciness to the whiskey. It balances the sweetness of the corn. And something I found really interesting is that really high corn whiskeys tend to lose their flavor profile over time and kind of just become a really neutral spirit. So the way that they ended up fixing that was incorporating more rye into the actual mash bill. Um, it actually helps provide a little bit of spice to balance the sweetness and it actually helps uh, elongate the flavor of the corn over time. Mm. So that's why they started to incorporate rye back into the mash bill itself. So there is credit due to the German immigrants um, as a love of rye. It's really rooted in kind of that Pennsylvania German population. Um, it extends beyond Germany that we know today. Uh, there are more we're talking about kind of the Balkans and part of present day Nordic countries. Uh, so we're talking about emigration occurring from Europe about two to 300 years ago. And that population really is the group of individuals who loved rye and what really started the entire process of rye-based whiskeys. So that's kind of the, the group of individuals we owe rye and the use of rye and whiskey making to. I presume we can throw the Dutch in there, right? Because the Dutch yep. had a significant influence in Pennsylvania. Yeah, and so yes, all those individuals kind of north of Germany, Balkans, um, Nordic countries, the southern part of the Nordic countries, all of that is kind of Germanic Europe 300 years ago. Um, but in summary, to boil it down just to mash bills, when you're talking about bourbon, you're talking about something that is 51% corn minimum. When you're talking about a high rye bourbon, it's 51% corn still, but the rye usually is at least 25%. There's no hard and fast rule on what makes a high rye, but when you're looking at high ryes, you're usually going to see 25% rye in the mash bill. And when you're talking about a rye in the US, similarly, it's 51% rye is what makes a rye in the United States. So those are your mash bills and those are your, your quick and dirty rye versus whiskey. Well, thank you. You're welcome. I love it quick and dirty. Shocking. Oh, shut up. No, that was good. It was very educational. I appreciate learning with you, mostly because I didn't read the section of the chapter like I was supposed to do. So I learned everything that I was supposed to learn from you. I do enjoy we've now gone down to like a you read and I'll listen to you because I definitely didn't read last week. And when I read, I'll educate you. It works out really well because I, I did not read last week. Listen, we're busy girls on the go. We are. So, you know, we got we to gotta make do with what we have. We do. And I'm excited. So next week, um, 
you'll be getting something in the mail tomorrow. I was hoping it would arrive today so you could unbox it while we were recording, but that's not going to happen. So next week, you'll have to like bottle up all your surprise and share with everyone what oh, arrives that's tomorrow. That's a lot to ask from me. It is, but I'm going to ask it because I'm going to go edit this episode after I eat dinner. Okay. There we go. I'll, I'll do my best. I appreciate it. I'll that. do my best to bring the excitement. <laughs> do you have any idea what you're drinking next week? No. Oh, is it my turn? Shit. Yeah. You got the new bottle, bitch. I can use one of these 50 million bottles I have on my, my bar cart. Damn it. All right. So with that, if anybody who is listening to this has a recommendation for an American bourbon or rye or high rye, please so send it my way. What I do have on my, on my bar cart, Nicholas, if you wanted to, I have to look and see which version is, but I do have Knob Creek. Oh, okay. Yeah, because I can't find redemption up here anywhere. If if we wanted to drink the same thing, we could do that. Um, All right. Maybe I'll do that. Because that is an American, mm-hmm. right? It is, right? I'm not making that up. <laughs> You're not making that up. Knob Creek is okay. an American whiskey. Good. I was waiting for you to be like, no, Paul, it's like from Guadalajara. <laughs> so what are you doing? <laughs> it's totally fucking imported. Good job. Yeah. Uh, no, maybe I'll do that. Um, yeah. This has been really good and concise, which I appreciate. We love good and concise. It's been great. Uh, All right, everyone. We will catch you next week. Bye, everyone. Goodbye.